0: We're getting ready for Collide 2020. Okay? So I need everybody to look at me and do this real quick. Stick your hands out, both hands like this. I put them up like this. We're just going to raise the roof together. We're super excited, right? This is how excited we are for Collide 2020, okay? Um, some of you were much more enthusiastic than others on that, and I will remember. Um, so, okay, we're super excited. Um, Collide this year, and again, this is a chance for you guys to spend the night with your buddies and with your friends and to have some awesome worship time at West Rome Baptist, and we're playing a huge game with WindShape uh, the Saturday of, and it's just going to be an awesome time. There's Awesome um, food uh, from the host homes and from the food families and all that good stuff. It's just always a great time. And so if you're interested, sign up in the back. Tons of you guys have been before. So ask the people who have already been once or twice what it's like and that sort of thing, okay? But it is awesome. So sign up. Everyone has a great time at Collide, okay? Um, Collide this year is a walk through Romans 12, okay? Uh, Romans 12 has three sections in it, okay? And so we're basing, basing each session at Collide around one of those 12, uh, around one of those three sections. So three sections, three sessions, three speakers. One of them is actually our very own Bob Agan, who will be closing out the weekend, right? It's gonna be awesome. Uh, and I wanted to take the three weeks leading up to Collide, to kind of walk you through each of those three sections in Romans, so that when we get to Collide, it won't be the first time you're hearing about it. Does that make sense? So that you'll, you'll kind of have some experience with it, and you'll know what to expect and that sort of thing. So last week, we focused on Romans 12, 1 to 2, which is the first section of 3. Okay, uh, We talked about how Romans 1 through 11, right? So Romans is 16 chapters, the first 11, Romans 1 through 11, is the good news of Jesus Christ, right, is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for you and me, taking our sins, putting them on himself on the cross. That's Romans 1 through 11. Romans 12 through 16 is how do we practically live that out? What does the good news look like in our lives? We are all being molded by something, okay, every one of us is being molded by something. Christians are not being molded by the world around us, but instead, Jesus is renewing and changing our minds so that we look more and more like Him instead of like the world. When something happens, the world might respond one way. It's up to us as Christians to respond in a different way, right? You may want to react one way, but as Christians, We strive and fight to act in a different way. We strive to be different from the world. And that was kind of the first section. Now we're in the second section. I'm going to butcher that all night. So this week we're in Romans 12, 3 through 8. So let's look at it together and then we'll get into it. Romans 12, 3 through 8. And it should be on the board as it is. For. "...through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another." Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So, Paul, let's look back at verse 3. We're going to take it a little chunk at a time, right? What is Paul talking about? Look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. Paul says this, For though the grace, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. So Paul is trying to show us right out of the gate how we live out the Christian faith. And one of the biggest sec- part, themes of this section is humility, all right, this idea of humility. Living the, here's what humility means as a Christian. Here's what humility means. Listen, living the Christian life with an honest view of yourself and your role. That's what humility means as a Christian. Living the Christian life with an honest view of yourself and your role. In Romans twelve three, Paul tells us right off the bat, one of the keys to the Christian faith is not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Look at three one more time. Look at three. For, though the grace, for through the grace given to me, I did that every time, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. That's the first part. Don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Our culture has this huge view of self-esteem. Don't be down on yourself, kid. You rock. You're the goat. You're awesome. You get a trophy, and you get a trophy, and you in the audience, you get a tr- Why not? You get a trophy. And, and encouragement is good. Some, of, some encouragement is good. More on that later. But here it is. So often, okay, so often, so often, our biggest issue is not too low a view of ourselves, but too high of one. Culture keeps trying to focus on changing how we view ourselves. Don't view yourself as a loser. You're a winner. You're not lame. You're awesome. And some of that is good, helping clarify how we view ourselves. But the Bible suggests something different entirely here. The world says you need to change how you view yourself. Keep viewing yourself, just change the narrative. Don't look at yourself in a negative way, look at yourself in a positive way. Turn the frown upside down, right? All that good stuff, okay? The Bible says that this is not the root issue. I wrote this in bold, so you know it's important, right? Listen, the root problem, according to the Bible, is not necessarily how we view ourselves, but that we view ourselves too much. The root problem, according to the Bible, according to what Paul says, is not necessarily how we view ourselves, but that we view ourselves too much. C.S. Lewis says it like this, and some of you have probably heard this before. Don't think highly of yourself, right? Be humble. Well, what is humility? This is what C.S. Lewis says. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less it's not thinking less of yourself two examples example number one I'm awesome I'm amazing I'm so great boo right okay example number two I'm awful I'm terrible I'm the worst Aw, right okay it's easy to think of those two examples as the polar opposites of each other and they are totally different on the outside it's really the same house, just with two different coats of paint. Did you notice that the common denominator in both of those examples is the word I? If you take away the excess language, both of them said the word I three times. They see themselves differently, but they're both obsessed with their own worldview. They're both obsessed with their own worlds. One of them's just full of himself in a positive way, and the other is full of himself in a negative way. Pride is still the root issue. Being down on yourself is not humility. It's just pride wearing different clothes. The answer to pride, don't think of yourself so highly, the answer to pride is not downing yourself. The answer to being down is not being puffed up. Humility is a balanced, honest view of yourself. That's humility. A balanced, honest view of yourself. Look at 12.3 again. Look at the second half. We'll start from the beginning. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. What's the next part? But to think as one having sound judgment. Think rightly about yourself. Think as one would think with sound, clear judgment about yourself. It doesn't say lower yourself below everybody. It doesn't say that. It says think of yourself In sound judgment. Listen to what Tim Keller has to say about this. Paul does not say here, see others as better than yourselves. At this point, he warns against thinking less of your abilities than you should. Don't think less of your abilities than you should. We need to acknowledge what we are good at and what we can do. Because doing this makes us able to serve others. Here it is. We are to think straight about ourselves. Neither too low or too high. The opposite of arrogance, the opposite of pride, the opposite of being full of yourself is not to be down on yourself. Both of those people are self-obsessed. The true spirit-led humility is a balanced, honest view of who you are, mainly who you are in Jesus. To be down on yourself all the time is not humility, but to trust in your abilities is not pride. To trust in your abilities is not pride we need an accurate sound judgment of ourselves not overinflating our strengths or harping on our weaknesses and mistakes last part of three and then we'll we'll start moving a little quicker but um for through the grace given to me i say to everyone among you not to think more highly of themselves but to think as one with sound judgment as god has allotted to each a measure of faith. This word for measure of faith, God has given you a measure of faith. Sometimes we think that means some people have a tablespoon, some people have a teaspoon. you have to Google the difference. I don't really know, right? So like some of you have this much faith, God's given you this measure. Some people God's given you this measure of faith. That's not what that means. Listen, 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 listen. listen. That's not what that means. It doesn't mean that d- different people have different measures of faith. That is not what that text teaches. This word for measure means standard measure there's a standard measure of faith that everyone is given. God has given the standard measure of faith to all of us who believe. Don't lower yourself unnecessarily, or think you have to do it all on your own. Does that make sense? We're all equal in the gospel. Prime example of this deeply theological film, The Lego Movie, right? Okay, uh, there's that scene where, it's like one of my favorite movies of all time, okay, so there's that scene where, in the first one, where Emmett, right, the main character, is falling, and he's falling down the mountain in the country western world, right, and he hits the ground, and he's hit the ground, he's quit falling, but he keeps screaming and, like he's still falling, remember, and then he opens his eyes and he realizes that he's not falling. Now hang with me. That's what it's like when we get too down on ourselves after we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, You're not in free fall anymore. You see that? You're not collapsing anymore. Jesus has stopped your fall. You don't have to keep doing it on your own. This is what happens when we get prideful after the gospel. We think we still have to keep earning it and doing it on our own and get out of free fall. You're not falling anymore. Jesus has stopped your fall. He has rescued us. Jesus has stopped the fall, and you don't have to keep thinking all hope is lost when you get down on yourself you don't have to stay down on yourself there's nothing wrong with correcting yourself if you do something wrong you acknowledge it was wrong and you want to learn from it and grow that's good you need to face the wrongness of what we do but we can't we don't have to let it define us anymore because it no longer can push us off a cliff forever jesus in the gospel has stopped our fall now our mistakes will only lead to more grace in our lives more understanding more growth in our lives. Whereas they used to just knock us off a cliff and who knows when we would stop. Jesus has put an end to all of that. There are no more cliffs in your life like that. He will protect us. Okay, So keep that in mind. To stop obsessing on yourself, either negatively or positively, to stop obsessing on yourself, we have to start focusing on what Jesus has done. You, to stop focusing on yourself so much, you have to focus on what Jesus has done. Jesus has freed you from the need to prove yourself or to be down on yourself, okay? Now, we are all equal in Christ, but that doesn't mean we're all the same. We're not all cl- We've all been given the standard measure of faith if you are a Christian, right? But we're not all clones, okay? Look at 4 and 5. Look at 4 and 5 of Romans 12. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Members of one another. One body, members of one another. Type A's in the room, You may want to circle that, right? Um, One thing that amazes me is the forethought that the founding fathers had when they designed our government with each section of government designed to where they don't have to know everything. They are designed to be interdependent on each other. They are built to depend on each other. A simple illustration. I did not plan that this theme would be the, the thing, but think about Legos again, right? These, these, are, these are tools crafted by the Lord, I think. Think about Legos. Legos are built, a Lego is built with holes in the bottom and prongs on the top. They are designed to never function alone. Do you see this? They are designed to be interconnected, to flourish best when they are connected to others. Have you ever seen a Lego by itself? Have you ever stepped on one? It's a disaster. It's terrible, right? A Lego by itself is not good news. So much more so for the Christian because we are designed to be connected in community. Okay? A Christian on his own or her own is a safety hazard. Just like a Lego on its own is a safety hazard. They Now listen to this. They are designed. They are designed. We are designed to find our full purpose when we are connected to others. That's how the church works. The same way a Lego works. We are designed to flourish when we are connected to others. The church is even more beautifully designed and interconnected and interdependent. This is why, now listen, this is why Paul started this part by saying, don't think of yourself too highly, because you're part of a body. It's not just you. If any one part of the body starts acting too highly on its own, it will kill the body. Do you see this? That's part of what a tumor is. One part of the body is growing and reproducing cells long after it was supposed to have stopped. And in the same way, we have to know our role in the body, in the grand scheme. We have to know our gifts and how these gifts apply to the whole body. Uh, I'm going to lose some of you and I'm going to gain some of you. Tom Petty is an excellent musician, right? Great performer. He went, here we go. He went, the, the adults are in the room tonight. He went on tour, several, just, just, think of a musician right okay he went on tour and he needs a drummer okay he went on tour and he needs a drummer there's a guy named Dave Grohl who is the lead singer of Foo Fighters great great like angry I'm, I'm mad at you mom that like that kind of music like that's Foo Fighters but before Foo Fighters it's a great band but before Foo Fighters he was the he was also the drummer in the band Nirvana okay this is a super talented guy all right, I'm going to talk to your parents after this. Um, so, okay, I'm just kidding, kind of. A lot of drummer, so here, here's, now listen, he goes on tour, I'm just kidding, he goes on tour with Tom Petty, right, as a drummer. This is what Tom Petty said about Dave Grohl. Now listen and think about your role in the body, not to shine out, not to be your own thing, but to function in the body. This is what Tom Petty said. Listen to um, Sir Tom Petty. A lot of times, drummers try to show out and do too much. They add things into the song that they don't need to, and it throws everyone off. That's not what we needed. This guy, talking about Dave Grohl, this guy came in and played his role and was done, and I love him for it. He knew, Dave Grohl, he knew his strengths. He knew his gifts. He could play the drums. But he knew how to play his role and not ruin the music at the same time. He knew how to play his role and not ruin the music at the same time. And now he's Tom Petty's favorite drummer. That's high praise. Now think about it. By being humble, by just knowing his role, Tom Petty loved him. By being humble, he was raised up. If he had tried to raise himself up, showboat and all that stuff, he would have actually lowered himself. Do you see this? Too often in churches, be it pastors, members, volunteers, students, etc. It's people making too much of themselves that do the most damage. It's not the outside evil world. It's the trouble within. It's people who make too much of themselves in the church and they do the most damage. Paul's talking to the church here. Don't think too highly of yourself. Remember your role in the body. Play your part in the body. You were designed to enhance the symphony, and I, and I know it's like, okay, Ryan, I'm in sixth grade, like, thanks, but I'm not tithing yet or whatever. Like, I get it. But like, as you guys get older, you guys are one generation away from being the generation that calls the shots in the church, that makes the decisions, that decides where the money goes, that decides what gets preached and not preached and all these different things and leads small groups and all that stuff, right? It happens. Um, Drew Carroll used to lead, he's, he's older now, he used to lead Zeb's group, right? He has no Zeb, right? He used to lead Zeb's small group But now, as Zeb was getting older, Zeb started to lead a small group, and I was like, this is you. You're as old as Drew Carroll was when he was leading you, and Zeb almost like passed out. It'll be here before you know it. And as you guys get older, as you guys begin to figure out your role in the church, your role in the body of Christ, listen, you've got to understand, you were designed as a Lego. You were designed as one instrument to enhance the symphony. Do you see that? You were designed to enhance the symphony. Um not to shine in a solo, okay? Not to shine in the solo. Think about how much pressure that takes off of you, right? Um, my dad coaches uh, up in Tennessee at a high school named Science Hill. Um, he's the assistant varsity coach and the head JV coach. And last year, so ninth grade has to play JV in his region. No matter how good you are, you've gotta play a certain amount of quarters in JV. He had a 6'11 kid playing JV with a bunch of ninth graders running around, okay? And this kid was 6'11, it was kind of a dream. But my dad also had this little point guard who was not as good as the 6'11 kid, and, and, and he would try to showboat and do his thing, and Skip does not get on board with that, right? And so anytime the point guard—it got to the point where any time the point guard crossed half court, my dad would stop and look at him and just point at the 6'11 kid. That's the strategy. Give the ball to the 6'11 kid, right? Let him just, boop, let him do it, and then you guys can go back down on defense. Give the ball, stop, I don't know what you're doing. Give the ball to the 6'11 kid. Give it to, why are you, give it to the 6'11 kid. And you guys have got to understand, Jesus has done the work. He's the soloist. He did the awesome thing. He's the best player out here, by a long shot, right? It's Jesus. He's the one we're supposed to make the most of. We are designed to flourish when we support him, we're designed to, to enjoy church. You will enjoy church the most the less you make it about you and the more you make it about Jesus. You will enjoy church more and more the less you make it about yourself and the more you just keep trying to get the ball, get the attention to the six foot 11 kid, right? To give it to Jesus. But when we try to make it about us, when we try to take focus off of Jesus and what he's done, the whole body hurts, right? The whole body hurts. Have you ever met someone, and I don't know at your age yet, but maybe as you get older, have you ever met someone who just complains about church? All they have with church is problems with it. What a sad, what a sad life to always be miserable like that. What a sad life, especially in the one place where we're supposed to be reminded that we're going to be okay at the end, right? What a sad way to go. And listen, listen, they're not only hurting the church. Oh, they're bad for the church, it's true. But they're not only hurting the church, they're hurting themselves. They are not flourishing because they were never designed to go into church to make it about them, you were never designed to go into church to make it about you. You were designed to find your area to clip in and know your role. When part of the body won't stop producing cells, that's when a tumor grows. And in the same way, when a person won't stop and submit to the whole needs of the body, cancer starts to grow. We were designed to help the body of Christ, not to be soloists. You were not designed for it. So, the more you try to make church about you and your preferences and your things and your whatever, the more miserable you'll be. That's what Paul is saying here. You're designed to be a part of the body. Um, how can you use your gifts to enhance the symphony and not hurt the music? Let's look. Six through eight and then we'll be done. Six through eight and then we'll be done. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the, pro- the proportion of his faith. Reading is obviously not my spiritual gift this evening. If service in is serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Uh, one quick shameless plug. the f- um, 2015... Bob and I did a series on spiritual gifts. It's on the PVN podcast. It's, it's creatively titled Spiritual Gifts, okay? I think you should definitely check it out. It's super helpful. It's like a five-part five thing. It's actually the first podcast of PVN students that we did. It's a series on spiritual gifts, so you should check that out. But let's talk about this. These are the lists of spiritual gifts. What gifts do you have? How can you help the church? I know the sixth grade class, and uh, they did a spiritual gifts assessment, earlier in the semester, right, or last semester, excuse me. This is not an exhaustive list right here in Romans, okay? There are other lists of spiritual gifts, First Corinthians, Ephesians, 1 Peter, they all have them. Spiritual gifts are often split into three categories, okay? Just so you know, speaking gifts, leading gifts, and serving gifts, those are the three, okay? We'll go through a few of these, help you understand them better, and then we'll be done, cool? The first one is prophecy, okay? The first one is prophecy. So, we got to understand this, Uh, and we may need to do a whole night on this, but we need to figure it out. Okay, prophecy is not telling the future. I know that's confusing. Prophecy originally never meant telling the future. It's just kind of been hijacked over time. That's not what prophecy is. Here's what prophecy means. Listen, prophecy means telling listeners what God has told you. That's prophecy. Telling your listeners what God has told you. Think about it. Even when the prophets did predict the future in the Old Testament, who did they hear the future from? God. They're still just telling everyone what God has told them. It just happened to be the future, you see. Future is not what makes prophecy. Hearing from God is. Look at 12.6. Look at 12.6. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, then according to to the proportion of his faith. According to the proportion of his faith. According, this again means according to the standard of faith. It doesn't mean like you're given a little faith and you're given a lot of faith. You're Moses and then you're given a little bit of faith. You're gonna do, You're like Peter, you're going to do okay. It's not what it means. The standard of faith that you're given, that's what you should prophesy according to. Okay? The standard of In other words, listen, in other words, if you're going to prophesy, it should be in accordance with the faith. It does not need to contradict the faith. This is teaching proper doctrine. What does prophesy have to do with me, right? This is preaching. Hearing what God has to say and then sharing that with your listeners. This is preaching. Hearing the Bible and telling it to others. Too often, and you've probably heard this or seen this, people will receive, look at my hands, a word from God like in the most random ways people receive a word from God and that word does not build up the body it just builds up the speaker if you're going to teach or if you're going to lead you need to know your stuff you don't have to be an expert but we should strive to be better teachers we should strive to be sure that we are lining up with what the Bible says we won't be asked to be perfect, but God will help us progress in teaching. So as you grow older, as you start to lead groups, you start to lead a group of Collide or a small group or teach kids, be sure you understand and know what you're teaching. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. So there's prophecy. Mom, youth pastor told is going to be a prophet. Okay. If service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching. So service, verse 7. Okay? Service is verse 7. That word for service is diacona. It's where we get the word for deacon, right? This gives you a clue as to what deacons do. They serve, okay? People who serve are good at practical tasks, cooking, setup, T-shirts, sound. They are great team. Now, this is important. If you're gonna serve in a church, servants are great team workers who do not need the spotlight, They're great team workers who don't need the spotlight. Think about Dave Grohl drumming, right? The band and the tour flourished because he didn't need to be in the spotlight. and He didn't play like it. Um, A lot of our adults have been volunteering here for a long time, and I guarantee you they've seen volunteers in the past do what I'm about to tell you about. Working, now this is so important for a church like PVM where everybody loves to come and do stuff, which is so important, but you gotta listen to me. Working and serving are not necessarily the same thing. Working and serving are not necessarily the same thing. If you volunteer, but you have a bad attitude, or you want to cause gossip, or make it about you, you are still craving the spotlight. You are working behind the scenes, but you really want to be in the spotlight. You're working, but you're not really serving. You see the difference? As you seek to volunteer at church or at work, ask yourself, ask yourself this before you start serving. Are you good with letting your agenda go so the church's agenda can move forward? Are you good with letting, the chur- with letting your agenda go so that the church's agenda can move forward? As a servant, your job is not just to work. It's not your job, it's not just to work. Listen, as a servant, your job is to lower yourself for the good of the team. To lower yourself, your needs and wants and desires. It's not just an outward working, I'm doing the work. It's an inward serving. The next one is teaching. Here's what teaching means, okay? Small group leaders and everybody. Teaching is this idea, making the truth clear and understandable. If you can do that with other people, You have the gift of teaching, making the truth clear and understandable. A lot of people in church want to teach, but they don't have this gift. A lot of people in church want to teach, but they don't have this gift. Can you take a concept and break it down so that your audience gets it? That's the gift of teaching. My parents have both taught school for over 30 years, and they say a hard teacher is not always a good teacher. Amen, students, right? A hard teacher is not always a good teacher. And teaching is not just on Sunday mornings in a pulpit, right? Teaching gifts vary. Listen, some are better in one-on-one conversations. Some people are just better communicators in one-on-one conversations, conversationally making things clear. Some are very gifted in in small group settings, right? Some are gifted in bigger groups. I'm one of these, I love Big crowds, the bigger, I, I know people who would rather die, literally, than speak in front of a crowd. For me, the bigger the bed, the more refined I'll be, it's, it's awesome. Some people are better with children. If there are 60 youths in here screaming and running around and breaking stuff, that's like, like I could sleep here, like that's my peace, but if I go over into the old fellowship hall and there's like four kids, I'm like, don't touch me, don't talk to me, I have no idea what to do, Here's a diaper and goldfish, like go go over there, go do something. Like, I don't understand kids' ministry at all. Some people are just wired. Teaching gifts are different. Don't think that just because you can't explain whatever, the doctrine of amillennialism to high schoolers that you're not gifted in teaching. Can you explain John 3.16 to a kid? Then you can teach. You see what I mean? That's the gift of teaching. The next one, exhortation or encouragement. The Greek word here means to come alongside. I think there are a lot of you with this gift. Listen, exhortation or encouragement, to offer inspiration, to offer support. This might be counseling, but you don't have to be a trained counselor to do it. That's not, counseling's a good comparative language, okay? Um, greeter team, prayer team. Uh, to my old job it was called the first impression coordinator. Do you want to be the first person that that new student meets? That's the gift of exhortation or encouragement. Giving is the next one. Giving generously or liberally. This word, this is important. This word for giving means simply. Meaning a simple, pure goal. If he wants to give, let him give simply. Notice, Paul does not say that the gift of giving is tied to an amount. I can't give. I don't have enough. That's not how Paul sees giving. Whether you are rich or poor or in the middle Paul's mind has the Christian giver as someone who wants to give. That's the gift of giving. Someone who wants to give. Who enjoys giving. Whose heart is full when they give it away. Whose heart is full when they give it away. The desire to give is what defines the gift. And listen, this is important too. They give wisely. They give wisely. They don't dump money into something foolish. Remember, spiritual gifts build up the church. If you keep giving things away to someone who always squanders that money, or if you are giving to something that the church doesn't support, your gifts are no longer helping, they're hurting. Generosity includes wisdom. Two more. Leadership is the next one. Leadership is this. People with the gift of getting people to follow them. That's leadership. People with the gift of getting people to follow them. Leadership is not a position, according to Paul. It's an ability. It's not a position. What I mean by that is, well, let me explain. To set a vision and have people follow that vision, one of my favorite quotes of all time is this, leadership takes trust and trust takes time. Leadership takes trust. The people that are following the vision have to trust you, and that takes time. Good leadership cannot be rushed, especially in the church. People may follow your position for a while, but when things get difficult, they'll stick by you if they know you. One of the reasons I still enjoy events, passion, collide, back-to-school bash, Halloween party, even Winter Jam a little bit. Don't tell anybody, right? Um, even that. Because it gives us, it gives me and the team a chance to work together for all of us to build trust and friendship. There is almost always a funny story that we get to have as a team after nearly every event. Uh, a couple years ago for Winter Jam, uh, Chris Fossatelli drove the wrong way down the interstate on the way home. So don't tell your parents, but we got to laugh about it a lot. So stuff like that, like fun stuff that we get to like enjoy. It it wasn't the whole way. Like it was like a little, you get it, okay? And I don't know that it was the interstate, but you get it. Like we get a chance to bond as a team. Events are awesome. Leadership is primarily the ability to connect people to your vision for the church. Last one, mercy. The desire to work with the poor, the weak, the sick, the elderly, and so on. My mom has taught special ed for over 30 years. She loves doing it. She has a heart to help those who have difficulty. These gifts look different in different situations. Okay? One church may need more small group teaching and less big group teaching. One church may need more greeters. One church may have givers, but they, do, they don't do it with the right heart anymore. Spiritual gifts is a very complex issue. A couple ways to help you figure out your gifts, okay? And then we're done. One, self-examination. Self-examination. Paul says in verse three, to examine yourself with sober judgment. Now listen, the best way to get a 360 view of yourself is to ask other people who can see things that you can't. Examine what do you like to do? What do you feel the church in America needs help with? What is is something that you feel the church in America needs help with? That may be a passion that the Lord is giving to you. What are you passionate about helping the church with? Number two of three, so we're almost there. Use your gift. Paul says in verse six to exercise the gift. If you think you have a gift for a particular thing, put yourself out there and start serving in that area when i thought i could speak and teach i would call fcas i would call youth groups and ask to come speak putting myself out there to see if this is really something i could do when i thought about youth ministry i called bob and asked if i could just come and learn from him put yourself out there start taking step work in the kids ministry work in the kitchen do s- work on the tech team See if there are ways that you can use that gift. And number three, last one. Here's, this isn't really that, but as you get older, I want you to hear this. If you are starting to make the gift more about yourself than about the body, I would recommend taking a step back and attend only for a while. Maybe you just need a chance to reset for a season. It happens. But Paul gives these gifts in terms of building up the body. A gift that is used selfishly or with an agenda is not helpful. It's a tumor that is hurtful. Giving, as long as the church does what you want with your money, is not giving. Serving and causing disorder or anxiety when you serve, because you're always complaining about what you have to do, is not serving. Teaching false doctrine is not teaching. Jesus wants you to be involved in his church. He doesn't just Want to save you. Part of being saved is being involved in his church. He took us while we were far away, while we were the most unhelpful people to the church ever, and he now uses us to help grow his church. Think about it. The Apostle Paul is the guy who's writing these things. Paul used to hurt Christians and throw them in jail. He was the worst person to help build the church. And now he's actually teaching us how to help it grow. The church really isn't a story of you using your gifts. It's the story of Jesus' grace. And when you see your gifts through that lens, you'll use them to build up the church. Let's pray.